0: afternoon, everyone. You had a chance to stretch your legs here. Yeah? Say hi. Catch up with the person sitting next to you. Um, maybe we can get started. Yeah, sooner the better. Amen. All right, so you guys are taking your seats. Um, so good afternoon, everyone. Technically, um, we're coming to the, into the last month of summer. Um, which, is, which is August. And because many people are away on holiday, what we tend to do is we take a break from our regular teaching schedule. Um, I wonder if there's any bottom on this mic. It sounds very mid-rangey. Um, <clears throat> um, we take a break from our regular teaching series, um, which we're going through the Book of Luke currently. And for the next five weeks, up until September, we're going to just be doing topical messages Recently, I've been greatly inspired regarding the topic of prayer. And it's one of those topics that is a constantly repeated theme in the Bible, right? And should be, hopefully, a constant practice in our lives, but often it's not a a regular constant practice in, in my life, at least in the way that I'd like it to be. Um, And so it's helpful, isn't it, that throughout the Bible we regularly see these reminders of of common doctrines and helpfully so. Our text today is Joshua chapter 10. Um, I see Richie in the back there. I know Pastor Rich loves a good Old Testament dive. (laughs) So Joshua, we're going to be in chapter 10 and I'm going to be Read in verse 1 to 15, that's going to be our text and predominantly from the NIV. So just in case the words are a little bit small on the screen, um, help me by turning to Joshua chapter 10 on your phone or your tablet, etc. That way you can at least track if if you can't read the, the words on the screen, but we're going to do our best. Um, The title for the message today is The Praying Captain of God's Army. The Praying Captain of God's Army. And I've got three points um, that I hope the guys are going to be able to put up for me on the next slide. The first point is prayer, what happens when we don't? Prayer, what happens when we don't? Um, The second point is prayer, how it relates to the gospel, and then third, prayer, what happens when we do. So what happens when we don't, how prayer relates to the gospel, and in prayer, what happens when we actually engage in prayer? Question, when was the last time God worked a tremendous miracle in your life? And if he hasn't I heard Judith mumbling <laughs> and if he hasn't if he hasn't is it because he can't or because you didn't pray well let's pray father thank you for the blessing of another day Lord would you encourage our hearts today with regards to the topic of prayer and your power and the gospel for jesus sake amen Amen. now this is a long chapter which i hope will not be reflected in the length of my message joshua chapter 10 and i'm going to start reading in verse 1 now adonai zedek king of jerusalem heard that joshua had taken ai and totally destroyed it doing to ai and its king As he had done to Jericho and its king and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies he and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities it was larger than AI and all its men were good fighters verse three so Adonai Zedek king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Pyram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debiah, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up possessions against Gibeon and attacked it. Go to the next slide for me. Verse 6. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Verse nine, after an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Next slide, please. Verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, "Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There was never been there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Amen. To give you a little bit of context, Joshua, <clears throat> the main human character in this book, is the captain of God's army, which is Israel. Since taking over from Moses, Joshua, since chapter one, has been on a military mission to possess the promised land. Jericho has been conquered and that just by marching around the city 14 times and then giving a tremendous shout. By the time we get to chapter 8, Joshua and his army annihilate another enemy that is the city of Ai. Israel are a formidable force to be reckoned with, and that because the Lord God of Israel is fighting on the behalf of his people. The remaining nations they decide to create a coalition to now fight against Israel. This coalition, my mom used to call them the ites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. The previous chapter to ours, chapter nine, highlights another enemy city called Gibeon or the Gibeonites. And these Gibeonites, They're scared and they decide to seek peace with Israel, but they do it in a very deceitful way. And we kind of got to go back to chapter nine rather than me explaining it. I'll just read it on the next slide. Joshua chapter nine, if we drop down to verse three says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part See so that word covenant? <clears throat> would you say it with me? Covenant. covenant. After three. One, two, three. Covenant. It's going to come up a few times and we're going to come back to it in a little while later. So now, coming from a distant country, make a covenant with us. Verse 7, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, wait a minute. Perhaps you look a lion, and you actually live among us. Then... Then, then and, and if that's the case, then how can we make a covenant with you, right? Now, they're saying that because they're supposed to destroy all the surrounding nations, not make covenants with them. So they're like, wait a minute, we're not sure about you guys. Verse 8, they respond and they say to Joshua, <clears throat> we are your servants. It's like they turn away from the soldiers and they turn to Joshua. Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. Now, like I said, they're lying. They're actually from a very, very close neighboring city. We'll see that in a minute. Um, the next slide, please. <clears throat> Verse where are we verse 9 part of verse 9 for we have heard a report of him that is the Lord your God and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion the king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan who lived in Ashtaroth. see what they're doing is they're referring to battles that Israel fought years previously and um. <clears throat> And, and they're basically trying to make out that we're not from around these parts. We're actually from very far. You remember when you lot fought blah, 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 back, back way back when? Can you hear what they're trying to say? They're lying. Verse 11. So our elders and all the, habit- in, and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey. Go, go and to go and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now. Notice, make a What? make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day that we set out to come to you, lie. But now behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins they were new when we filled them, lie. But behold, they burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions. Notice the middle of verse 14 but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Verse 15, And Joshua made peace with them and made a what? Made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. What What didn't God's people do in the middle of verse 14? They didn't pray. Can I encourage you? pray about everything they didn't ask counsel of the Lord and as a result they make an unwise oath which forces Israel to now have to protect the Gibeonites thus disobeying God's command to eliminate them remember they're ites. they should be eliminating them from the land Now, could you see that the soldiers, they had an inkling, they had a a check in their spirit, but they didn't check with the spirit. Pray about everything. How many of you know Joshua, as great as he was, here depended on his human wisdom. And as a result, he was deceived. Let's not think that the same thing can't happen to us. Don't think that this can't happen to you. A lack of prayer could easily lead to bad decision making. A lack of prayer could easily lead to even disastrous decision making. Pray about what? Come on now. Because none of us are greater than Joshua and he was deceived. Even if it's just a simple prayer, Furthermore, here is good reason to commit your day to the Lord first thing in the morning, as soon as you open your eyes. So you do that; you're in a much safer place. There's no guarantees, but at least you're starting off in a much safer, a safer place than if you didn't pray. And I can hear someone, <laughs> I can hear someone repenting right now. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. You know, for not praying this morning. It's good. Because now, even in your seat, you can say, Lord, I, I commit my day to you. I'm just going gonna, gonna to back this mic off just a little bit because it, it seems very scratchy. Is it hard on your ears? No. 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 Oh. Can I move it down just a little bit? Yeah. Maybe it's where I'm standing in the room. <clears throat> Lord, I commit my day to you, Lord. You know, the Bible says, trust in the Lord. How? With, Lord. With all your heart. And lean not on but in some of your ways in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 right pray about everything it might be a job interview it might be a house move it might be a potential partner you'd be like boy talk about prayer you better intercede on that one not just pray, you better fast and pray when it comes to picking a partner. Hey. See, these are really big things, but pray also about the little, quote unquote, little things too. A presentation that you're going to do at work, a children's school trip, or a car journey to visit family. But there are other things to also pray about, and I'll come back to those in a moment. It's one of the things that we do on a Tuesday night. Pray about everything. How many of you know, Eve wouldn't have got herself in trouble. Adam wouldn't have got himself in trouble. Cain wouldn't have got himself in trouble. Abraham wouldn't have got himself in trouble, etc., etc., etc. So the Israelites did not consult with God before agreeing to a treaty and fell for the Gibeonites' trick. In this first instance, in regards to prayer, the captain of God's army... Doesn't set a very good example. This brings us now to chapter 10. Where the focus switches. Here Joshua is confronted with a coalition of kings. Unlike Gibeon. That we just read about in chapter 9. This coalition of kings. They don't want to agree terms. But they're hell bent on destroying Joshua and Israel. The king... Adonai Zedek, I'm going to call him AZ, is leading the charge. And in verse 1 of chapter 10, we read now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem. Now, that should sound strange to you as a Bible reader. Because every time you think about Jerusalem, you think Jerusalem is the city of our God. It's the city of the the king. It's it's, it's David's city. Zion. Right? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet, because... There's the, remember, the children of Israel have been traveling with a tabernacle. Currently, they're not in Jerusalem, and there's far from a temple at this point. And Az is the king in Jerusalem. And it says that he heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king. And how I many of you know word has got around? And the people, and on top of that, and the people of Gibeon, who who are supposed to be their associates, their friends, he said that the people of Gibeon had made a a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. Now, this is now a massive problem because the Gibeonites' switching sides weakens the enemy coalition. Can you see that? In verse 2 it says he and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city it's not just an allied city it's an important allied city well it used to be like like one of the royal cities and it was larger than AI and Joshua marked AI and and Gibeon's larger and notice all its men were good fighters. So King AZ can't afford to lose the Gibeonites. But how many of you know it's too late? Verse 3. <coughs> <If> you, well, <laughs> king Aze is not a happy bunny. So what does he do? Verse 3. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. If you could just put that map up for me, please. So here are the four kings, this is where their cities are located, right? And this is where Adonai Zedek is at. And look how close it is to Gibeon, who have now become their enemies. How many of you know Adonai Zedek? He's got more than enough reason to be nervous because he's the closest to Gibeon. Can you see that? Adonai Zedek appeals to these kings and Jerusalem given its geographical location such close proximity to Gibeon this poses a big problem so AZ needs to get help this was a call for immediate action verse 4 come up and help me attack Gibeon he said because it has made peace with Joshua our enemy and the Israelites Verse 5, then the five, you see, see why I ask you to have your Bible open, right? Verse 5, then the, the five kings of the Amorites, this is Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, they joined forces. And they moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. So you can see them all coming together and they're moving all the way up now to Gibeon in conjunction with Jerusalem, King Adonizedek, to attack Gibeon can you see that can you see the military strategy and it's a it's a five-pronged attack notice now who the coalition doesn't pick a fight with they don't come up against Joshua but they come up against Gibeon and it's like you're in a gang and one of your strongest one of your toughest crew members leaves the gang and joins a rival gang <laughs> and now you don't go for the rival gang themselves you go for the traitor who joined the gang okay so what are the Gibeonites what are the traitors gonna do are they gonna stand up and fight against their old crew no, sir. look at verse 6 the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal do not abandon your servants Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Now, why should Joshua respond to this cry for help? Oh, somebody was listening. Now, why should Joshua respond to this cry for help from the very people that previously had deceived him? Why not just sit back and not get involved they're not coming up against you Israel why not just let the ites fight among themselves because once I always I right <laughs> I mean Joshua you were supposed to kill the Gibeonites remember just let King AZ and his crew now do the job for you plus Surely, this gives Joshua an opportunity to be rid of any evidence of his past failure. Just step back and let the coalition massacre Gibeon. Let them mash up the traitor. Just don't get involved. But what are you going to do, Joshua? Because Gibeon are crying out to you for help. And you have made a covenant with Gibeon you see what mess you can get caught up in if you don't pray so Gibeon cries out to the captain of God's army Joshua save us save us Joshua help us help us question is can Joshua save them or will this take supernatural intervention look at verse 7 so Joshua marched up from Gilgal notice he's made his decision with his entire army including all the best fighting men okay If I'm Joshua, I'd be like, okay, I dropped the ball last time. Here's another opportunity for me, for Joshua, to pray. to, To speak to God. But notice what happens. Before Joshua speaks to God, God speaks to Joshua. This is grace. See, even when we're not faithful, God remains faithful. Amen? And the Lord... You'd be thinking, if I was the Lord, I'd be standing over here with my arms crossed. Oh. (laughs) The Lord speaks. Verse 8. And what does he say? The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And he echoes what the Lord said previously, back in in the beginning of the book in Joshua chapter 1, right? Now, We don't hear a response from Joshua, but possibly he would have said, could have said, Lord, you're still going to help me. You're still going to help us, Lord. You see, maybe one of the reasons Joshua didn't pray this time is that he didn't expect God's help. He might have been thinking, boy, you know what? I never prayed the last time. I should have prayed and I didn't. Got myself in a hot water. Now I've got another problem. I can't even go to God. Because if I go to God, he's going to say, oh, what, you want to come to me now, do you? Can you, can, can you hear the conflict possibly going on in Joshua's heart? And we hear it because it, it goes on in our hearts, doesn't it? Why should God help me? Look, look, look at the way I've behaved this week, this month, this year. And the opposite is true where we feel like, yo, I've been, I've been on it. You know what I mean? I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been witnessing, you know what I'm saying, on the bus. I've been fasting and praying. They're like expecting, okay, well, of, God, of course God must now listen to it. Can you see how even that, like both of them are, are extremes that are unhelpful. But the Lord in his grace. The Lord in his grace. Even though you made, you know... Even when, even when Joshua has failed and he's flopped and he's made a big mistake in the past, and the Lord's like, even though you've flopped, I still love you. I'm still committed to you. You're still my people. And Joshua's like, what? Joshua's like, boom, all right, well, let's go, innit? Verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal, and I don't miss that. After an all-night march. Joshua took them by surprise. Apparently, it's a 25-mile walk from Gilgal to Gibeon. It was an exhausting journey with a 400-foot climb over steep and difficult terrain. You know, sometimes like, we just read one verse and it's easy just to read over it. (laughs) This was an exhausting journey and that during the night I mean it's one thing trekking, in it, through the daytime and you got your stick and you got your you got your boots that you went down to the decathlon and you bought and you're marching and you But this you've been up all day and now you're marching all night during the night over rocky and difficult terrain under the cover of darkness. And normally after a long day, what do you want to do at night? No chance. Imagine after being awake the previous day and hiking all night, having to now engage in hand-to-hand combat, sword-to-sword combat, where your life is at risk and you're tired of mash-up. But look who comes to the rescue. Look who comes to save Look who comes to help. I'm tempted to say, it's a bird, it's a plane. No. I mean, it literally is Superman. Because some would argue that this is a Christophany or an Old Testament example of Jesus basically turning up in a sense. and Although not literally, because obviously it's Joshua, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 10. It says, Joshua threw them into confusion. Is that what it says? If you're tracking with me, verse 10 says, the Lord threw them into confusion. This is the army before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Can you see that God's people got some help? How many of you know God's people need help? Back then (laughs) and today, God's people, we still need his help. And it says Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon, like they was the one that, like they're the strong ones, you know. And they're pursuing them, and they cut them down all the way to Azekah and Machadar. Wow! And it doesn't stop there. Look at verse eleven. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, look what the Lord done. He hurled large hailstones down on them. Oh my gosh! Go to that next slide for me, please. Hailstones. In a recent news report, Tripoli, which is the capital of Libya, was hit by an unprecedented severe supercell storm on Tuesday, October the 27th, 2020. The storm produced exceptionally large, giant hail, possibly more than 8 inches or 20 centimeters in diameter. The first reports indicated that these hailstones could be some of the largest ever recorded. Such hail size would definitely fit into the world's top three hailstone events reported globally, besides the Vivian, which is a place in South Dakota, hailstorm from 2010, and the so-called gargantuan hailstorm in Argentina in 2018. See what one of them can do? Imagine if that dropped by you. (laughs) Scary stuff. Verse 11 of our text goes on to say, the Lord hurled these large hailstones down on them, the enemy, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Can you see that God's people needed help and God powerfully assisted his people? Can you see... And notice, can you, can you see God and his people fighting together? One of the things to note, which is often quite consistent throughout the Old and, I would add, the New Testament, is that God works alongside his people in bringing about the defeat of his enemies. We just read in verse 7, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army. Oh, it's, the people are going to fight but then verse 8 says the lord said i have given them into your hand verse 9 says after joshua's army demand them marched all night verse 10 says the lord threw the enemy into confusion and the israelites defeated them completely israel pursued them and cut them down well which one is it is it god or the israelites who's doing the fighting It's both. Thank you, Pastor B. Can you see how the Lord fights for his people alongside his people to fulfill his purposes? In Romans, it says God will crush the head of Satan under your feet speaking to his people, the church, and I don't have time. (laughs) Question, how else do we see this take place in the new testament um that next slide please second corinthians chapter 10 says notice for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh can you hear the battle language for the weapons of our warfare our warfare are not of the flesh but have what divine, divine power to destroy to destroy strongholds can you see god's people working alongside god to defeat his enemies Verse 4 in the in the King that's in the NIV, in the King James it says, for the weapons of our, this is how I learned it. For the this is how I memorized it. For, <laughs> for the weapons, remember, Pastor? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Next slide, please. Ephesians 6, the classic text when it comes to war and battle in the New Testament. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in yourself no in the lord and in the strength of his might right not your might you don't you and me ain't got no might really put on the whole armor of god that oh but i got to put armor on it sounds like i gotta be in the fight Mhm. put on the whole armor of god that you that who you and me may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for who We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And it goes on on the next slide, verse 14. Stand therefore... Having fastened on the belt of truth. And, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. As, and as shoes for whose feet? For your feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Another translation. Take up the sword that the spirit wields. Rawr. Which is the word of God. Verse 8 in doing what? Doing what? What? Doing what? Old and New Testament, you know. Praying sometimes. Little prayers. Big prayers. All kind of prayers. How often? At all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Different types of prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And Paul says, and also for me. Why? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Can you see... Can you see the mysterious nature of prayer as it relates to warfare in the New Testament? See, we are God's metaphorical army, and we fight. I'd like to think, all of us, some of us, the strongest among us, the weakest among us, we fight. In prayer Bruce Lee talks about the art of fighting without fighting as soldiers we have to fight male and female old and young rich and poor we're all in a all soldiers in the army of the Lord and as soldiers we have to fight but God is the one who gives the victory Amen. so we've looked at two points What happens when, like prayer, what happens when we don't? Prayer, how it relates to the gospel, I hardly touched it. But can you see how Paul here in Ephesians 6 talks about the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel and the fact that that's found, that is fundamentally powered by prayer. Now we come to our third and final point. Prayer What happens when we do? Let's go back now to the Old Testament to see this pattern continue and even excel to infinite heights. Verse 12, Joshua chapter 10. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Like my man's gassed at this point. Now, we see Joshua, the captain of God's army, (laughs) about to pray. And it's worries in the dance. And pray he does with a serious kind of faith, with a next level confidence. Listen to the man's prayer. Sun, stand still over Gibeon. And you moon <laughs> over the valley of Ajalon. Verse 13. I saw the sun stood still. And the moon, st- I mean, if Joshua spoke to me like that, I would have stood up like a statue as well. <laughs> the Sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it was written in the book of Jesha. the Sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day now let's just clear up the book of Jisha business <laughs> it's not some random lost book of the Bible that we need to go dig up and find because hey it's got revelations in there untold no <laughs> it's just an ancient Hebrew collection of heroic poems celebrating the great victories of Old Testament warriors and deliverance from the Lord. Just a collection of poems bigging up the Lord. The book of Jesha: Son, standing still. Now, do we see a conflict here between scripture and science? There have been lots of attempts to explain this away. Some have said, oh, it's just poetic imagery it's not literal, or, or maybe it was an eclipse, or you know, maybe it's you know in the Arctic Circle the sun doesn't go down for a number of months. It's just and they call they, they call it the land of the midnight sun because it, the sun quote unquote never goes down. Now bearing in mind, technically technically the sun never goes down. How many of you know the Earth actually rotates? on its axis around the sun, right? Given the fact, or given that fact, why did Joshua address the sun rather than the earth? He should have said, earth, stand still. (laughs) Right? And some argue that the earth spins at a thousand miles per hour. So if it was to stop, guess what would happen to everything on it? (laughs) (laughs) Right? But technically, it should have been the earth that stopped. Well... He was speaking naturally from a human perspective, and people still do the same thing today. Even academics from the scientific community do it. We all talk about sunrise and what? And sunset. Me and Pastor E got a tune called Sunrise, Sunset. When neither of them are technically true. The sun doesn't rise and the sun doesn't set, yet no one ever gets called out in regards to scientific error It's just normal, natural, human vernacular. And the best explanation I've heard about this is from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. I've got a quote here. Listen to what it says. It says, in answer to Joshua's prayer, God caused the rotation of the earth, notice, to slow down. So that it made one full rotation in 48 hours instead of 24 hours, which is supported by the writings of the book of Jashuk. God stopped the cataclysmic effects that would, that would have naturally occurred, such as monstrous tidal waves and objects flying around. Evidence that the earth's rotation simply slowed down is found at the end of verse 13. I don't know if you noticed it. It says at the end of verse 13, The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and, noticed and delayed going down about a full day. Delay. 48 hours instead of 24. Okay, verse 14. It says in commentary, there has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord did what? Thank you, Bertram, because it seems like you're listening. I nearly said listening, because I know that's the African way to say it. Listen. All right? Bertram's listening. There has never been a day like it before or since a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Pray about everything. Why? Because the Lord is listening. Because the Lord is listening. How many of you know the Lord listens to human beings? Verse 14 ends by saying, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. How many of you know that the Lord continues to fight for Israel? The Lord continues to fight for his people. To conclude, in the New Testament, we have a reference of another Joshua. Another Joshua who fights for his people. Would you go to that next slide for me? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him, speaking of Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect. How? Through sufferings. Can you see this is speaking about Jesus? The captain of our salvation. This is speaking about the New Testament, Joshua, Jesus. You know that Jesus is the English translation of the Greek word, Yesus, right? Jesus Christus. Yesus, which is Yehoshua or Joshua in Hebrew. Jesus, if you like, is the ultimate Jesus or Joshua. Yeshua, Yehoshua. The ultimate leader of God's people, the captain of God's army, and the captain of our salvation. You know, the name Jesus actually means God is salvation. And the salvation that Jesus brings, he does so in conjunction with the new covenant. Remember earlier, the covenant that Joshua made with his enemies, the Gibeonites? Joshua makes there. A new treaty, a new agreement, a new covenant with them. And it's unbreakable. How many of you know Jesus does the same? He makes a new covenant with us, his enemies. Those from a foreign land who were separated from the covenants of Israel. And they come mash up. You remember they come? They said their trousers are mash up. Uh, Our food is mash up. Uh, Our wineskin bags are bust. Everything's mash up. How many of you know that's how we come to the Lord? (laughs) Mash-up. From a foreign land. um, Would you go to the next slide for me? Romans, listen to Romans 5. Oh my gosh, the gospel, man, it's so good. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, I mash-up, like the Gibeonites. At the right time, Christ died for the godly. No, he died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I mean, who's going to lay their life down? Even for someone that's good. I'm not, I'm, I'm not volunteering. But, but, but he's a good man. I don't care. You know what I mean? This is what this is saying. Though per- perhaps, maybe, maybe Harriet might lay her li- life down. You know what I mean? <laughs> perhaps for a good person, one, like her, would dare even to die. But notice god shows verse 8 his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god for if while we were what i just gotta stop here for a second verse 10 for if while we were what I'm not making it up, you know. Just like the Gibeonites, we were facing the same plight as God's enemies who deserve to be executed. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus makes a new treaty, a new agreement, a new covenant with his enemies. How? When you cry out. When you cry out to the captain of God's army, not Joshua, but Yeshua, Jesus. Jesus. In your desperation, you shout out, (laughs) Jesus! Amen. Jesus! Jesus! Save me! Save me! Yes, you are! Help me! Help me! The Bible says, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be delivered, shall be rescued. How many of, how many of you can put your hand up and say, that's my testimony? And we know that because of Jesus, unlike Joshua, God the Father didn't keep the sun in the sky. It was the opposite. When Jesus hung on the cross fighting, I mean the ultimate fight, talk about UFC, Not only the battle of his life, but the battle for our lives. There wasn't extended sunlight. But there was unusual, uncanny darkness. And that in the middle of the day. Verse 13 of our text, Joshua 10 says, The sun stopped when? In the middle of the sky. When is the sun in the middle of the sky? In the middle of the day. But not for Jesus. No light for Jesus, but darkness. I don't have a slide for it. Matthew 27, at the crucifixion, verse 45 says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness, not light, darkness came over the land. About about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud, cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you what? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken? Gibeon wasn't forsaken. Although they were God's enemies, they were saved through Joshua's new covenant. But how many of you know Jesus was forsaken in order that God's enemies, us, would be saved through Jesus' new covenant, through his death and subsequent resurrection? And Jesus, like Joshua, how many of you know? He prayed. (laughs) How many of you know that's an understatement? Jesus prayed, and if you think about it particularly, Jesus had been up all day the previous day before the crucifixion, and then he was up. Sorry, he was up all he was up all day the previous day, then he was up all night. Remember the, the disciples fell asleep, thank you, in the garden. And what was he doing? Pray about everything, you know. The little things, but you better be praying about the big things. Which is what Jesus was doing all night. And then, he's now having to go and fight the greatest battle that he would ever fight. That anyone could ever fight in his life. Can you see the correlation? And he prayed. Jesus prayed about everything. And why not? Because Jesus the ultimate praying captain of God's army. I'm going to stop. Um, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'll invite the the band to come come up, the girls to come and sing. And bear in mind that when we sing, we're praying. Just bear that in mind. Father, like the men of Gibeon, we were outsiders from a different country, not of the nation of Israel, but you brought us in. And we too, Father, like them, have been brought in, we've been saved. You've helped us. You've saved us by the precious blood of Jesus, the true captain of God's army, the captain of our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant without which we would be lost. We would only be looking forward to your wrath and rightly so but because of the new covenant Jesus took the penalty of our sins Jesus took the wrath of God for us and for that we say thank you help us Lord now as traitors who have now joined your team help us to fight Lord, help us to pray. May this message today encourage our hearts to talk, to speak to you, Lord, because when we speak to you, you listen, and you don't just listen, you roll up your sleeves and you act on our behalf, and we praise you for that in Jesus' name, amen.